Well, starting today, incandescent light bulbs are now banned in the United States. This initiative, first introduced in 2007, was rolled back by the Trump administration. But in April, President Biden flipped the switch on it. Customers are now urged to start buying LED light bulbs because they conserve energy. Well, starting... Yeah, sure. Customers are not encouraged. It's pretty much mandated. When something is not legal, you're not just encouraged, you're forced to do something. Isn't that fascinating, the wording? Hmm. I wonder what else we're being forced into. We'll talk about that. It is the Chris Plant Show. Michael Pelka in for Chris Plant today and tomorrow. And uh, boy, oh boy, what a full plate. Now, I know August 1st was the first day of the ban on incandescent light bulbs. See, they didn't just make them illegal. It's still legal if you've got them and maybe you stockpiled them like some radio personalities you may know. But you're going to have to buy them from a guy in a trench coat now on the street corner in the in the alleys now, the incandescent light bulbs, the ones you like. At least they're not forcing us into the, the pigtails, those squiggly bulbs. Remember the mercury bulbs? Yeah, those, uh, those CFLs, they called them. Compact fluorescent bulbs. Those bulbs, ooh, they were bad. They were bad. Every one of those, if you use those in your house. And I'm not just talking about them being bad from a, a lighting standpoint because they did stink. They were the worst bulbs. It took them a long time to heat up to the proper temperature so you could get decent light. It was a weird color. Didn't like them. But if you broke one of those bulbs, the guidance from the government, the guidance from the the people who wanted us to buy them, it it mandated that you, you call out a hazmat crew. Each one of those bulbs... The little CFLs that you would put into a normal tabletop lamp. Each one of them had enough mercury to pollute 6,000 gallons of uh, groundwater. So that was a giant fail. Aside from being a bad bulb, it was a giant fail in terms of the environment. And they kept telling us, well, if we get rid of these these pesky pesky incandescent bulbs that used a little carbon filament, uh, we can save the planet and change the weather. And ruin the groundwater at the same time. If you don't believe me, you can look it up. It's on the Internet. But uh, Obama banned them. Trump came in and said, no, we're not doing that. You can have your your light bulbs back. And then Biden, because all he wants to do is undo any good thing that Donald Trump did. Biden came in and said, all right, we're going back. And this is just going to go back and forth. And I think Americans are getting tired of it. I think we're all getting tired of it. And I wish they would wake up. I wish they would just wake up and stop. Stop. Nudge, nudge, nudging us. Again, I'll I'll repeat the gas stoves, the hot water heaters. Yes, in case you missed it, the hot water heaters, they have targeted to significantly change the hot water heaters that you would have in your house. They would have to meet a certain standard by 2029. That's not that far away. That's... Less than six years away. And the people that make the tankless hot water heaters, the ones that only heat up enough water right then and there, they're very, very good. Uh, They can't re-engineer their product. So all of those hot water heaters would, I think they have a 
10 to 15 year usable life. They're going to be made obsolete by this administration. So we're going to need hot water police. We're going to need gas stove police. We're going to need coal fired pizza oven police. There's government's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger if we allow Democrats to stay in charge. And they've got plans to do that. That's why they're going after Donald Trump today. And they're going after Donald Trump today is the uh, the arraignment of Mr. Trump in a D.C. courtroom. As I said, there's only 11 media seats in there and they're they're being handed out by uh, lottery. So if you're lucky enough to get one, if you're standing in line waiting or you put your name in the hat, I hope we hear from you. But this is um, this is a big day for Mr. Trump. I predict uh, today or tomorrow we will see the next indictment. I think all of these guys are working in concert between New York and Miami and D.C. and Georgia. They're all trying to make sure they don't poach each other's media time because that's what they're concerned about. Getting the media time for their district their jurisdiction, whatever it is. So today is uh, Jack Smith time and the time for Mr. Trump to show up at the courtroom and he will be arraigned. It should be brief. It's like four o'clock, four thirty. This is happening after which uh, there may or may not be a Donald Trump statement, which would be pretty cool if we got a statement out of the former president. I'd love to see that happen. It didn't happen in New York. The uh, arraignment was pretty brief in New York. I think the same thing in in Miami, but we shall see. We shall see. Uh, I know Alan Dershowitz, who is no Republican. He's no real conservative. Dershowitz is just a guy who, a liberal, by the way, who speaks the truth when it comes to the Constitution. He loves the country enough to be honest about what he sees. Alan Dershowitz was talking with Fox News about the Trump indictment. And uh, he seems to think there's no smoking gun in this indictment. And I, I agree. I think there's greater evidence against the Biden crime family that we've heard in the last week than there is against Donald Trump. Uh, this was Dershowitz uh, yesterday on the Sean Hannity show. I read the indictment very carefully. There is no smoking gun. There is no one who is credibly prepared to testify that Donald Trump said to him, I know personally I lost the election. There's a lot of evidence that people told him he lost the election, but you know Donald Trump, and you know that he's going to make up his own mind, and they're going to have a very hard time proving it. Now, it's the District of Columbia. Ninety-some-odd percent of the jury pool will have voted against them, so they may actually get a conviction from a D.C. jury. But will it survive? appellate review and review to the Supreme Court. I do not think so. So this makes sense if you think about it. If you're honest about it, you're not going to get a um, a fair jury pool with 90% of the people in D.C. having voted for Biden. 90%. Maybe that's low, too. It might even be higher. So Dershowitz kind of anticipates a conviction but a victory at the appellate level or if not at the appellate level, all the way at the Supreme Court level, which takes us all the way up to what? Sometime in the middle of Donald Trump's first year of his second term. 
if it gets that far, because this is going to take a long time. Uh, Alan Dershowitz, again, not a conservative, not a biased guy. He sees the law through the Constitution lenses, not through anything else. And I I think that's uh, absolutely amazing that he comes forward and talks about it that way. Uh, We will see today. I have great hopes that we will get some comments from Mr. Trump uh, and uh, maybe even a press event later in the day. I've mentioned the uh, interview Tucker Carlson had with Devin Archer. Tucker has a program, and it's kind of interesting the way we see programs right now. Tucker on Twitter. We talked um, earlier about the the podcast that uh, Joe Biden sat in on last week. Last Thursday, Joe Biden recorded a podcast with a guy who's a mental health kind of airy-fairy, new-agey podcast guy. And uh, Cringe was all excited to tell us that uh, Joe was doing this podcast because it was such a huge podcast. She wanted us to know that uh, this was uh, this was hitting an average of like 20 million downloads a month. And isn't that amazing? And so we were all supposed to be impressed by that. Uh, no, not so much. In case you missed it, this was cringe because she was asked, what is the president doing? Last Thursday, he had nothing on his schedule. Nothing at all. It's not like he has anything on schedule today on the beach, but uh, she addressed the question. The president has nothing on his schedule today other than his daily presidential briefing. So um, can you share with us yeah. what he's up to, yeah, who he's speaking with? Yes, absolutely. So the president participated in an interview with uh, Jay Shetty, who you all may know, to discuss the administration's effort to tackle the mental health crisis that affects millions of Americans. As you know, the president uh, just uh, just yesterday announced a new rule uh, to make sure that mental health is, de- is dealt with in, a par- with a, in parity, or that mental health is indeed health. You heard him say that directly yesterday. Uh, Jay Shetty's podcast, On Purpose, is the number one health and wellness podcast with an average of 21 million downloads each month. So 21 million downloads each month. That's impressive. If I had a podcast that was getting 21 million downloads a month, I'd be rolling in the do-re-mi, as it were. Tucker Carlson's show, Tucker on Twitter, released yesterday afternoon, I think it was late yesterday afternoon, uh, released a 12-minute piece sitting down with Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's former business partner, former BFF. They're no longer BFFs anymore, by the way. Uh, I don't even know if they're talking anymore. And in this podcast, which, again, has not even been out 24 hours, and I checked early this morning. I checked about 6 o'clock this morning. I think Tucker was at... 17 million views this morning and in just just over 12 hours. So 21 million alleged downloads to Jay Shetty, 17 million in less than a day to Tucker. I'm guessing Tucker's going to eclipse that. And Tucker's monthly downloads are probably in excess of a of 100 million. So uh, I'm not impressed. But here's what happened. Uh, Tucker got some really honest answers out of Devin Archer. Not that Devin wasn't honest with uh, the testimony he gave in front of Congress in the closed door hearing. But we still have yet to see the transcribed interview. So 
uh, we have to go what what Tucker has released. And uh, I still don't know why Archer wasn't allowed to be interviewed on camera in front of Congress. This one, uh, this one points to uh, some some really curious behavior by the Bidens, and it kind of exposes what we already knew. So you worked with Hunter Biden in a bunch of different businesses. Um, what were the skill, the specific skills that he brought to clients? Well, at the end of the day, he, you know, he had a career in Washington, yeah. uh, graduated Yale Law School and had a very big network in, in D.C. and brought that know-how and understanding of D.C. and ultimately the Biden brand. So Hunter Biden, what did he bring to the company? What did he bring to your, your business deal? How, how was having Hunter Biden on your team going to help your business grow? Well, he, he, had a, he had a career in D.C. Okay. Really? I know he had a, a, a lot of reputation at the gentlemen's clubs in D.C. It's where he met the mother of his child, Navy. Uh, he, had a Yale law, he had a Yale degree. Oh, that just means you're on that, that uh, list where you can throw that list around, networking list. But at the very end, the very end of the list is where we hear the real reason. Now and understanding of D.C. and ultimately the Biden brand. Ultimately, the Biden brand. People were buying into what Devin Archer and Hunter were selling because of the Biden brand, which meant access. And even Archer found a way to admit that the phone calls between Hunter Biden and his dad were an abuse. You're taking a call from the vice president and you put it on speaker. It's not just, hey, dad, I'm in a meeting with some buddies. Right. It's let me let me put my dad, the vice president, on speaker. Yeah. Yep. In the, in the rear view, it's uh, it's a it's an abuse of soft power. It's an abuse of soft power. Uh, very clever. Now, this guy's headed to prison. He doesn't really have anything to gain by talking to Hunter uh, Tucker Carlson about Hunter. Very little to gain, in fact. Uh, and then they talked about the lovely letter from Joe Biden at the beginning of the business relationship with Hunter. And that letter is actually on the cover of the New York Post today. You can see it online. It's very interesting that Joe Biden would write a letter, a personal, personalized letter to Hunter's business partner. I, I got to share this with you, but I have to take a break as well. Plus, we're seeing your calls line up. 888-630-9625 is the number. It's Mike Opelka in for Chris Plant on the Chris Plant Show. You're listening to the Chris Plant Show. Hey, Chris here with some exciting news. Now you can listen to me live on the WMAL app. Doesn't matter if you're in your car, in the office, on the go. The WMAL app delivers crystal clear around-the-clock news coverage anywhere with cell service or Wi-Fi. So don't miss a second of your favorite shows. Download the WMAL app today on the Apple App Store or at Google Play Store. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. It is the Chris Plant Show, and uh, boy, oh boy, are we busy today. It's Michael Pelka in for Chris Plant. Mr. Trump's arraignment later this afternoon. We probably won't get much other than courtroom drawings. I hope we get Mr. Trump. And uh, I'm anticipating tomorrow will be the day the Atlanta court drops its, its indictment, the Atlanta prosecutor drops their indictment. I was teasing the conversation between Tucker Carlson and Devin Archer. And it was fascinating because Tucker's just crushing it out there. His, his stuff is killing the rest of the normal broadcast world in terms of viewership. And I think we're seeing the future. But more importantly, the content that we saw yesterday, Devin Archer sitting with Tucker talking about the lovely letter he got from Joe Biden at the beginning of their relationship. What's he thanking you for? Well, uh, you know, first of all, it's a lovely letter, and it was... <laughs> <laughs> it's quite enthusiastic. It's a little weird, though, right? Yeah, well, it was... It, listen, it was, it was kind of the beginning of our partnership, and he was thanking me and thanking Hunter, I think, at the end of the day, for bringing this idea of this government regulatory strategic advisory business into the private equity world. And I think he was excited about the prospects for Hunter, and... Um, you know, he was uh, just just thanking me. I think it was a nice gesture. So that nice gesture was a personalized letter on stationery from the vice president of the United States office. January 20th, 2021 to Devin Archer has his address right there. I apologize for not getting a chance to talk to you at the luncheon yesterday. I was having trouble getting away from hosting President Hu. That's President Hu Jintao, China. I hope I get a chance to see you again soon with Hunter. I hope you enjoyed the lunch. Thanks for coming sincerely. And then he signs Joe. And then uh, P.S. Happy you are. You guys are together. So happy together. And how much am I getting? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That at the very early stages of the relationship that the vice president was thanking this guy for bringing his kid, the one who's had all the problems, the one who's been in rehab six times since 2003 to today. I think the last one was 2018. Isn't that interesting? Thank you for partnering with my screw-up son. I know it's going to be profitable for everybody. There's more from this and some of your calls just around the corner. Michael Pelka in for Chris Plant on The Chris Plant Show. This is The Chris Plant Show. The Chris Plant Show is the program. The guest host, that's me, is Mike Opelka. And I will be here through today and tomorrow. And we're trying to get everything in here, but it is a daunting task because there's just so much they provide us. 
they being the mad people on the left, the far, 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 way out there on the left. Yeah, they are out there. And we need to talk about it. A couple of things I'm teasing for the future. Apparently, Barack Obama has resurfaced and is is showing us just how deeply involved in this administration he is. And we'll get to that because there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be answered. I wonder, I wonder why now? Why is the former president stepping forward now? And if we're ever going to hear the full story on the chef, his former chef, 45-year-old man who drowned 10 days ago, 12 days ago, outside his estate on the pond. And now we know that the, the mysterious second person who was listed but not named on the, on the call and on the police report turns out to be a woman. An employee? Can we find out more? Can we know more? I would love to know the full story. Right now, we don't know. We only know a teeny tiny bit because that's all they want to tell us. That is all they want to tell us. They're trying to control every aspect of our lives. I mentioned the um, light bulbs at the top of the show, the incandescent light bulbs. And uh, I'll get back to the Tucker Carlson interview in just a second. But Jim in Florida is on the phones here at the Chris Plant Show. And uh, Jim, the the light bulb issue reminded you of something, didn't it? Welcome. Thank you, Mike. How are you? I'm good, sir. I'm good, sir. You good. you uh, you had an observation. Um, yeah, I, I was doing a little research on uh, U.S. electricity consumption uh, a couple of weeks ago, and came across a graph. I think either from the EPA or the Energy Information Agency that indicated that uh, of all U.S. electricity consumption, uh, home consumption for uh, things like uh, heat and uh, light bulbs um, amounts to only 7% of the total, whereas transportation and, uh, and uh, industrial use amounts to uh, more than 50% of the total. So... Um, that got me questioning, well, why is the government uh, going after such a small proportion of the marketplace in applying mandates to things like light bulbs or even gas stoves, uh, gas furnaces? Uh, even, if, even if you roll in all those other things like, uh, like uh, gas in addition to uh, electricity, uh, home consumption amounts to less than a quarter of the total of what goes, uh, uh, what we consume uh, energy-wise uh, in the U.S. So, you know, why not go for the low-hanging fruit? Well, it, the, the interesting thing here is uh, we, we would have those answers if we had a media that was curious, if a uh, media that did journalism and that would chase this. And I would suggest that if they followed the money, because when the government starts restricting or mandating or limiting what you can use, that forces you into choosing something that they likely have a connection to. And that's what I would like to see. Where where are the ties to? Where are the friendships? And where are the monetary links to the new light bulbs and to the new stoves? 
and to the new water heaters and to the new pizza ovens, et cetera. What, where, where does this benefit somebody and, and how are they tied to the government? And I think that's really important. It's all about control, too, Jim. At the end of the day, this is about telling you what you can do. And uh, I, I was looking at this story yesterday and trying to find the right angle on it. And uh, I remembered um, a speech that that Margaret Thatcher gave a bazillion years ago. And she was she was absolutely genius talking about how the Labor Party, which is, you know, what we what we have here in this country, we we call them the left. Uh, But they, they are pure leftists, how the Labor Party was the party that didn't like choice, like school choice, et cetera. And I, I think she put it very, very well, very simply. Socialists don't like ordinary people choosing, for they might not choose socialism. See, there, therein lies the answer. They don't like people having the choice on how to live their lives because they wouldn't choose socialism. They would choose freedom. They would choose small government, big freedom, even though it's tougher most times. But it's a, it's a great question to ask. And I'm glad you're looking at the, uh, the amounts of electricity. I would watch how the charging fits into this because there's currently a real problem with the electric vehicle push in this country uh, from the government standpoint. It's not working because oh, yeah, they, they don't work. That's it's, just crazy. Yeah. It, it, I'm, a, I'm a recovering there's, electric there's vehicle no owner. Infrastructure. Yeah. It's, no it's not a good idea. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you being there, Jim. Thank you so much. I want to wrap up the uh, Hunter, uh, the Devin Archer, Hunter's former partner, talking to uh, Tucker. Because you can watch the whole thing. It's 12 minutes. I just uh, culled a couple of clips from here. And uh, someone was calling earlier asking, let's talk about something more productive than Hunter Biden. Um, This is. Not about Hunter Biden, Michael, who called in to ask that question. This is not about Hunter Biden. This is about Joe Biden. This is about the United States government having having compromised its ethics. This is about the leader of the free world connecting his son to these these money flows, which then ultimately comes back to him. Devin Archer says that Hunter Biden knew, he knew the business partners were in the room, that Joe Biden knew the business partners were in the room at dinners, et cetera, in his own words. Biden, then the sitting vice president, knew that there were Hunter's business associates in the room. Yeah, I think I can, I can definitively say at particular dinners or meetings, he knew there were business associates and he you know, we, or if I was there, I was a business associate too. Um, yeah. So I think, or if, you know, any of the other colleagues from the DC office or the New York office were there. So yeah, at times there were from the, you know, to be, you know, completely clear on the calls. I don't know if it was an orchestrated call in or not. It certainly was powerful though, because, you know, if you're sitting with a foreign business person and you hear the vice president's voice, that's prize enough. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty impactful stuff. Bye. Yeah. That's pretty impactful stuff. That's exactly what they were going for. That's how you let your client, your potential client, whomever that was, whether it's a guy from Romania, the guy from China, the guy from Ukraine, the guy from from Russia, know that you're powerful. 
and that you have immediate access to your father. And that access is huge. What is that? A grown man calling his dad on a speakerphone during a business right. meeting. And to be clear, sometimes it was the call was coming in and the speaker would go on. So it was, it's just the presence. You have to be, I mean, you're, you, you understand DC, right? So the power to have that access and that conversation, and it's not in a scheduled conference call and it's a part of your family. That's, that's like the pinnacle of, uh, of power. The pinnacle of power in DC. That's really what was there. And I think this interview, all 12 minutes of it is worth your time later today. Take a break. You can watch it. And uh, I think the interesting thing, I used to get kind of irritated by Tucker Carlson's laugh, but I think he's a genius. Uh, I sat back and watched this whole thing and took notes. And I said, I think this is a a genius move because it disarms Devin Archer and it puts him at ease and he's relaxed. This is a a calm discussion with someone who's kind of friendly, even though they both have suits on, etc. So uh, I, I find this to be a true smoking gun, and hopefully it will lead to more. Uh, a couple other stories that came out yesterday, and I mentioned this very early in the show today. I think Gavin Newsom is perched and waiting for Joe Biden to slip away and say he's not going to run. Maybe that's what this 10 days is all about. Maybe this 10 days at the beach is, is Joe getting ready for the sidestepping from the 2024 run. Maybe that's what's going to happen. Hmm. Possibly. Is that why Barack Obama met with Joe in June at the White House and warned him about Donald Trump's strengths? That's the report that came out today. That Barack Obama had a lunch, a private lunch with the president to warn him about the strength of Donald Trump and maybe saying that it's time, Joe. We've seen the Gallup poll that came out yesterday that shows Joe Biden in his 10th quarter as president is worse than every other president except Jimmy Carter, and I'm sure he's working on beating that as well. And it looks like Gavin Newsom is attempting to restructure his his world to possibly begin raising money to run for president. That's, that's kind of the take that's coming out of California. And it, it was a couple of weeks ago that Newsom actually appeared on Sean Hannity's show on Fox. And Sean asked him about, asked Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, about debating Ron DeSantis. It's kind of interesting because here you got, DeSantis, who's currently in second place, trying to trying to get the GOP nomination, which looks like it's Trump's to lose 70 percent. That's that's monstrous. Monstrous. I don't think anyone's ever, ever fallen from that perch. But you never know. The Democrats are really pulling out everything to come after Mr. Trump. Uh, But DeSantis was on with Hannity last night and Hannity broached the subject of debating Gavin Newsom. You heard Gavin make the offer. Your answer is? Absolutely. I'm game. Let's get it done. Just tell me when and where. Just tell me when and where. I'll do it. So there it is. Ron DeSantis in a debate against Gavin Newsom. 
for a position that currently isn't belonging to either one of them being the party uh, choice for the nomination. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I'm fascinated. And, and if, um, if it happens, I will watch because I really think uh, Governor DeSantis is a pretty good speaker. He's, he's very different than Donald Trump. He's not as glib as Mr. Trump. He certainly doesn't have the experience. Mr. Trump is a television personality, a CEO who's used to leading the boardroom, who's very good off the cuff, doesn't require a prepared speech all that much. He can get through it on his own. And uh, I, I think DeSantis is a skilled debater, and I'd love to see him go up against Newsom. So uh, good for you, Mr. Hannity. I, I hope that happens for you. I think we, the people, would like to see that. We, the people, would like to uh, witness that. And as I said earlier, there's a report that uh, Donald John Trump has had talks with, meetings with, dinners with Fox executives as it relates to probably coming in to participate in the first debate. I think he should. I think it would be a, a just a huge opportunity for him to unleash the hounds, as it were. Uh, we also are hearing that Ronna McDaniel, the head of the RNC, has has raised the limits or the requirements, the bar to get into the second debate. It's not going to be that tough, but I, I think the first debate will see 10 candidates. That's my guess. And then the second debate, maybe six candidates. There are going to be a lot of debates. We're going to be sick of debates by the time the election runs around. And, and that's usually the way it goes. We get debated out. I'd like to see more of the style that happened with uh, Tucker interviewing one candidate after another for 10 or 20 minutes. I think that's a, a winning formula. And I think we get fewer prepared statements and more actual answers. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I need to take a quick break here. If you want to join the conversation, you can. I have more interesting stories that caught my eye to share with you, as well as uh, some, uh, some fascinating audio that might make you angry. But we're supposed to get angry to get jumped into action, aren't we? Sure. It's Michael Pelkett in for Chris Plant on The Chris Plant Show. There's only one Chris Plant. The Chris Plant Show. Chris Plant Show. Mike Opelka is my name here for Chris. Today, tomorrow, I believe he returns Monday. Thanks for hanging out with us. Just checking out social media during the break. Barton writes, did the U.S. Secret Service finish the $500,000 security wall around Joey's beach mansion? I doubt he will withdraw from the race until he gets his taxpayer-funded wall around his bribe-funded beach home. Very well phrased. I, I, um, I am a regular visitor to Lower Slower, Delaware. I have not driven by the mansion. I should. I've been to Brandon Falls, the spot where Joe fell off his bike. And yes, I, I laid down on the ground and took a picture like a jack wagon. I should post that. My, it made my wife angry. She goes, don't do that. I, I said, it's funny. 
It's funny. Anyway, I think the uh, I think the wall may be finished. But the question is, was it built to keep people out or to keep Joe in? Just a thought. I have um, some other topics to discuss with you, and uh, they further the uh, argument we make here that that the left is crazy. Boston elected a new mayor recently, Michelle Wu. She is a a dyed-in-the-wool progressive, and they were all excited because she checked two boxes, one being a female, the other being um, a person, an Asian person. But she just signed an executive order, just signed an executive order. Now, remember, that's not a law. That is someone using their power. I don't like executive orders. I know both sides use them. It seems like the founders would probably be spinning in their graves at all the executive orders that are being used here in our country. But this is a mayor signing an executive order banning fossil fuels from being used in the new construction and major renovation of city-owned buildings. And this is done, quote, as part of a commitment to climate action and to advance racial and economic justice. Um, you guys aren't smart. Now think about that. Banning fossil fuels. You can't use fossil fuels to construct or repair or update city-owned buildings. And I'm sure that Boston has a lot of city-owned buildings. It's a, it's a huge city, and most cities have a ton of those. So how are you going to rebuild stuff? How are you going to build anything without using fossil fuels? Does that include not driving trucks to the job site because they use those evil fossil fuels? How are you going to get stuff delivered? Are you going to not run generators on the job sites? What, are you going to put up solar panels all around the buildings that you're working on? Seriously, does anyone think through the stuff that they're saying on the left? Does anyone war game it out and say, this makes no damn sense? Boston is about to get a dose of reality. I just wonder what the unions think about this. Banning the use of fossil fuels in new construction and renovations of city-owned buildings to advance racial and economic justice. I'm guessing this is a one-term mayor. I'm just saying. Boston, wake up. It's Mike Opelka in for Chris Plant on The Chris Plant Show. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.